Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. All right, guys, you're listening to Season 1, Episode 11, Part 2 with our conversation of Brad Carruthers out of Ohio. And in this episode, uh, we're going to discuss uh, more in depth about his system and uh, meat processing, retail meat sales, and a few other things along the way. And uh, hope you enjoy our conversation with Brad. Look forward to a part three as well. So back to your system, I guess. Uh, you guys lamb in the field. You, you got a lambing shed. You got a lambing barn. What is? How does that protocol go for you guys? Yeah, so we do lamb in the barn. Um, in late January, early February here in Ohio, it get cold. <laughs> cold, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cold for you, Robert. Um it's about normal for Caleb. He doesn't try to get that as cold. He was 90 this – he was 90 – what was you, 96 or something this week? Yeah, I was 90, 96 Saturday. We were we were 86 last week. We're supposed to be 85 tomorrow, and it was 60 degrees here today. So, we get it all in – all within a week here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the saying out here is if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Yeah, it'll change. <laughs> So how cold do you typically get in the wintertime out there? So I would say our, our normal winters, um, you know, we get about two weeks of the year where it's usually about, you know, four to 10 degrees during the daytime. Um, and then it can get into the negatives at night. Um, every once in a while, we'll get one of those polar vortexes that comes through and it's about negative 30 or so. Um, yeah. But when that happens, um, you know, we just kind of, We've got some gates on the barn, and I'll put some tarps over them to make sure that cold wind doesn't blow right on them. And the sheep do fine. I mean, I'm I'm more upset than they are. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Um, that's all, but we typically get that in January, especially early January. Okay. So we usually shoot for like last week in January to start, and mm-hmm. then right, we want to land mostly in February, and then maybe have one or two carry over into March. But we really like that February time because it's usually not too cold, um, but also it's it's it stays a fairly you know normal temperature, um, yeah, you know, in the twenties or so, and that's that's usually not a problem for us. And are you a, a typically a wet cold, or you guys are getting a lot of snow with that, or is it pretty dry typically when it's cold? The, the last few years we've had this wet cold. This year especially, um, we had a rather mild winter, um, but we had that real like i mean it was raining and then it got below freezing and then it warmed up the next day and then it got cold again and then it rained it was just it was a miserable like late winter early spring um we actually had 
quite a bit of pneumonia go through. So next year, I learned from the podcast from Mark, he vaccinates for it. So I'm going to do that next year. That's something I learned from the podcast. <laughs> because after this year, I'm not doing that again. Yeah. Um, no, but that, previous that year, I've had an issue, you know. But mm-hmm. the thing about here in Ohio is we kind of sometimes are on that belt where we kind of get a little bit of everything, and it's just hard on them. Yeah. Um, the lambs, the ewes always, you know, do fine, but it's the lambs. And you don't want to stunt their growth. You don't want to hold them back. So you want to, you want to press on through. But And then um, we do put our lambs and our ewes in a jug for 24 hours. Um, okay. um, sometimes with some yearlings, we may go 48 hours, but we like to take to 24. And then we've got a um, – a pen where we'll put, you know, five, six of them at a time that are of a similar age, a mixing pen, and then they'll get kicked out um, in one of the paddocks that's got a, a three-sided shed in it from there on out. So that's that's typically how we like to do it. Yeah. So then once you get out on pasture for the summer, um, what's your grazing system look like? Are you doing management intensive grazing? Um, do you just do continuous grazing? Um what does that look like for you? Yeah. So a lot of that comes down to the fact that we do need to get that parasite challenge. We have to almost push it. Um, when we first started doing it, we were doing management intensive grazing and we were like, um, when's this parasite infection supposed to happen? <laughs> we were talking to Kathy cause she's in a similar situation to us. She lives about an hour away from us and she has, Rather parasite resistant, she has very parasite resistant flock. Yeah, and, um, she's like, "Oh no, you have to, you have to try and make it happen." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So we um, we typically graze our lambs behind our ewes on short grass. Um, <laughs> it's <laughs> it sounds crazy, um, but that's just kind of what we've had to get to just to get that in the challenge as early as possible, because we've got people that want to come by their stock. And it's like, look, I can't sell it to you until I get my data. Yeah. That's why we do this whole thing. And, so and I, I'm yeah. trying, you know, um, so once, once we wean them, we cut them off the creep, we run them behind the use, um, to get our challenge. And then we kind of flip it back around. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great too. Cause, cause it, I mean, you're, it just shows your dedication to selling high quality stock. I mean, you know, it, it's certainly, you could probably get another 10, 20 pounds on your lambs if you were to, you know, keep them on a creep feed after you wean them and, and keep them going on lots of fresh open grass. But, but you know, you might not know what kind of quality stock you're selling. And I think that's, that's great that you're willing to put in what it takes to, to sell the best stock you can. Yeah, that's kind of the thing, like, if you're going to be an NSIP breeder for the purpose of selling breeding stock, you have to be invested in that. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to be an NSIP breeder to use EBVs to, you know, grow the best meat lambs you can, you know, that's, it, that's what it's meant for, you know, but then there's those of us that are trying to sell you rams that work best in your system. And there's stuff that we have to kind of do in order to make sure that that happens. Cause you know, if I wouldn't use the animal myself, I am not going to sell it to anybody. Um, that's just something that we've done from the beginning. And, you know, is it the easiest way to do stuff? No. Um, 
but it's kind of uh, it's kind of how we do it. And we've debated at some point um, as we would get bigger, maybe taking some lambs or some ewes and mostly just doing more of just a you know grass based for meat production. And those ones we would manage differently, you know. But uh, for our core uh, breeding stock, it's just what we have to do. Uh, to make sure that our data is as accurate as possible so that when people buy stuff, it works for them. Yeah, definitely. Running, running two flocks is so hard or three, you yeah. know, I, I had this crazy idea of doing two totally different breeds at one time and, uh, and then doing a three-way terminal cross and cause, <laughs> I, cause I'm into that kind of stuff. I think it's cool to play, you know? Yeah. And, uh, take 20 sheep of two different breeds and just experiment. I mean, that's how the, that's how some of the best breeds have came about, you know? So, um, mm-hmm. you got, you got the room, you got facilities, but man, it's so hard to have, you know, I, I'm not a management intensive person, so it's very hard, uh, very hard, you know, to do at this point in my career. So maybe later. I think Tom's doing, uh, he's doing two different flocks, a grass fed only and then a, 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 what you would call a normal flock, I guess. Yeah, I was just about to bring him up. He does do that. He's got uh, one that is just grass fed. Um, and, and it's one of those, he, he has a big market for it. And yep. I can tell you, if I just had a strictly grass fed flock here in Ohio, I have a market for it. Now, I have a market for my pastured lamb as well. So it's not like, I don't necessarily need it, um, but it would be something that I have. I have the I, I want to say I have the genetics now uh, to where I could do that if I wanted to. You know, yeah. if I wanted to have a hundred ewe flock on pasture to raise meat lambs, those are the people that I want to sell to. You know, and I, I want to. Those are the rams that we kind of select for. Uh, to work in that system. Now, we do have some of ours, their numbers probably would be quite as great in a strictly grass-based um, system, um, but we are by no means, you know, pumping these things full of grain. I mean, yes, they're on creep until they're weaned, but really after that, it's uh, – we kind of wean them off of that and then they're just on grass because we got to try and get that challenge. So maybe kind of jumping around a little bit. Um, you know, you, you bring a really neat perspective because you started with some sheep that were just commercial sheep and then you realized, um, you know, how important the, the breeding stock is when you're starting a flock and how big of a difference that makes in your system. Um, but I mean, the really cool thing is that you're fairly new to the industry and you have kind of a, a unique perspective, which is really important because if we just stick with our you know same perspective we've had for a long time, um, you know, we're not necessarily going to reach new flocks. What, what's some of your thoughts and advice for new producers that are getting involved in it as somebody who's, you know, kind of new and jumping in? Um, you know, in, in 20 or, you know, is, this is 2020, you've been doing it for a few years. Um, but you know, you haven't been doing it for, for 40 years. What's your thoughts on jumping in today? What's some advice for somebody to do that successfully? 
I think the biggest thing is figuring out what your goals are. Um, early on, we realized our property, you know, it can only handle 30 use. That's really it. Um, and as far as just straight commercial sheep hauling them to the sale barn, like that's just not a profitable endeavor. And so we kind of got into raising breeding stock. Now, obviously with that, you've got plenty that are not of breeding quality. Um, we happen to, we've made friends with, we're, we're close enough to Columbus. You know, we're about 45 minutes to an hour. We're also 45 minutes to an hour from a city called Delaware. Um, we've got some friends that own about four restaurants in each city. And so we've actually sold lamb directly to restaurants. Um, we've also, one thing that we're, we do sell whole and a half lambs um, as well. We actually, we haven't taken anything to a sale barn in two years now. And I don't plan on doing it anytime soon because the market's just, they're not that great right now. They're bad, you know, but yeah, one of those, I can make more if I'm willing to put in some effort in marketing to get into a little bit higher end restaurants and yeah. the people and the hardest, I, I would say the most difficult thing with that. Yeah. It's, it's all about connections. My wife and I, we love eating good food. So we go to these restaurants all the time. She's a wedding florist. You know, she has some workshops and stuff. So we kind of get in with some, some people in Columbus. Um, and we've met chefs and restaurant owners and stuff like that. So that's been helpful. But it's like, you just got to go out there, you know, and you got to meet people. And if you don't want to, that's fine. You know, but that's something that we've done to find a higher end market for our meat lambs. And that's something that most people don't think about that raise breeding stock. You know, they raise like, Oh, well, I'm going to sell breeding mm -hmm. stock. Well, all right, that's, that's great. But you know, 50% of your ewe lambs and 90% of your ram lambs are going to meat. What are you doing with them? Most people are just like, well, I'm just going to take them down to the sale barn. Like, okay. You know, which is fine. And if that's what your market is and you've got a good market for it and that's profitable for you. Great. Um, but we, we've tried to find other avenues for it. And the biggest hurdle we've run into is processing. And I know it's been discussed many times. Um, we've got a processor about 20 minutes from here. They're good friends of ours, you know, but it's still difficult to get in there. Um, and so I, I've actually, I'm trying out a new processor. I dropped some off last week. Um, some, uh, some call use to try them out. And I've got uh, 12 slaughter dates booked with them next month. So it's one of those, we'll just, you know, we'll see where it goes. But if you, it all depends on how much time you're willing to put into it. And for some people that's different. Um, but that's one thing that we realized when we got into it is, you know, what do we want to do? And we realized we were going to do breeding stock, but also, we do really enjoy food and we want people to appreciate good food, you know, and we can tell them where it came from. They can understand what it is that we're trying to provide for them. And then the second thing though is find a good mentor. We've been very, very fortunate with some people that we've met that geographically lived close to us that have been in raising Katahdins for a very, very long time. And that's invaluable. Um, as far as just, Hey, I don't know what to do here. You know, I want your thoughts on it. 
or um, like in, in the fall when it comes time to breeding season, hey, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Just throw something out there. Let me know if I'm on the right, you know, the right track, the wrong track. Um, and then the biggest thing is being open-minded. You know, if you're going to – you can't be too committed into going in one direction or else you're just going to wind up in, in a place you don't want to be. That's the short answer to that question, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I totally agree. Uh, a mentor, you know, I tell everybody don't, you know, it's kind of like going to, you know, um, going to the store, going shopping, going to buy a car. Don't buy the first car you see, you know. Yeah. Uh, go and, and try, get your car. Don't take your checkbook. <laughs> Just go look. And, um, you, you'll you'll find out real quick uh, somebody that is sincere or somebody that's just maybe there's somebody that just has an attitude or something that you don't like and you can't you couldn't buy sheep from uh, that that you couldn't get any help from you you, you know go visit you know don't uh, don't buy it off the internet don't buy it off a telephone call go right around, get in the car, see as many places you can see. Cause it is no two places are alike, you know? Yeah. That. And also like when you go to buy stock, make, I mean, I see it on the Facebook groups all the time. Yeah. As advice. And it could not be more true. Buy sheep from a management system. Like you're going to raise them, you know? And if it's not exactly the way you're going to raise it, make sure that, you, you know, understand it. You have, yeah, exactly, you know, because if you think, like, yes, they are adaptable, but not everything transfers. And also, you don't have to deal with that then. If you buy sheep from someone that raises them the same way you will, you will be better off. Or buy it from someone who raises it with less inputs than you necessarily would as well. If you're going to go, you know, not with what you have. Um but that's something that there's so many people that they see this animal. Oh, it looks great. It's wonderful. It's, you know, it's exactly what I want. And then you bring it home and it's just not quite the way you want it to be. And we get people that, that call us that are just, Hey, you know, it just, it didn't work out. It's like, well, you know, you need to factor that into it. And it's different for everybody. You know, there's so many, there's so many, ways to raise katahdins the way i raise them isn't the way other people raise them and that is totally fine you know that that's the one benefit of katahdins they are as adaptable as any breed gets so whatever system you want to raise them in great but make sure you buy them from people that are in that system too yeah i've occasionally bought some sheep and and people go what were you thinking and i'm like well i'm not i'm not thinking you know and, and I'm looking at, um, you know, I'm looking deeper than numbers. Maybe I needed a structural change that, and the people are not in NSIP. And, um, and I, I've bought animals that uh, added something here or there that I needed to fix. Um, most of the time, those didn't work out the best. But, you know, hey, I'm, I'm willing to try it, you know. Um, that's the advantage of having a lot of sheep. You have a lot of sheep, you can practice with 20, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's one thing that 
that I've always that I've looked forward to when I do get more sheep is being able to the power of experimentation is awesome. Yeah. You know, because I agree, there are some really, really good production-based Akatan genetics, not in NSIP, and I would love to use them. But my flock is just not big enough at this time right. to be able to prove it out. And the nice thing is there are some people with bigger flocks that are, you know, and that's really, really important, you know, because we do need to diversify our genetics. You know, we don't – we don't necessarily have the greatest thing. I don't want to say that we do. I want to say we're doing really, really well. We've come a long way from where we were, you know, but who knows what the future holds. But at the same time, it's what we have to deal with right now. And we'd love to have more people join and submit data and get new genetics in. I mean, because I've bought most of my stock from, uh, long-term long-time producers um and i have some issues where i'm too connected to some of those people now you know my flock's not big enough that i can i'm like i bought a ram and it was like hey i can get a ram lamb out of like this one ram that you have now granted luckily they have a large flock so there was options there right. but that's not always the case and so you need to make sure that we're bringing in new genetics. We're trying out new genetics. Um, and that's one thing that uh, I've always, that I've been looking for with the whole uh, connectedness figure is, hey, let's try something else, you know? I mean, I put down a deposit on a Ram Lamb out of New England for next year, and I'm like, hey, if its numbers are just, you know, pretty good, I'll take it if it's a complete outcross. I mean, I was fortunate enough this year that I used a ram that for me was a complete outcross and it was great. I mean, a, his lambs did incredible. Um, we couldn't, we couldn't have been happier. They were extremely vigorous. They grew like weeds. Um, I've got no complaints about them and he was a complete outcross. So we need to keep working some of those genetics in and that's something, but that was something that I forget who was someone, someone's brought up in the past where it's going to kind of, separate itself into people's management systems and certain geographical areas are going to naturally get, uh, you know, separated, but we need to make sure we do our best to help mix it all up because eventually we're going to have to. Well, we, we talk about being, uh, heavily regional, regionalized, I guess with genetics, but, uh, but if you think about it though, I mean, I don't know, I have a different philosophy on it is, you know, Peel started from one place, you know, so technically they all started from the same place. So, um, you know, yeah, you know, how many generations are you not connected to the Peel farm? I mean, how, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if they all came from his place in the beginning and look where we got, then I wouldn't worry about being heavily tied to everybody in the state of Ohio. I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, uh, my philosophy is breed the best sheep you can get to the best sheep you got, and lay the cards out on the table. That's that's Rob's theory on life, you know. Um, yeah, and that's I mean that's totally a thing when they all came from somewhere. Exactly. And all, and uh, pedigree master is not very good at doing um, line breeding inbreeding coefficients, you know. So 
how do you track that? How does everybody track that? That is, I used to do it in my ranch manager program, but when I swapped to farm works, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. So that is something that I struggle with. You do get an inbreeding coefficient back from NSIP though. Yeah, but it's too late then. <laughs> well, that's true. And then, I, mean, I want know, one ahead of time, not after the fact. I know. Um, Etienne up in New York at Gibraltar Farm, as far as like the whole Excel and all that stuff, he's 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 got it down. And I'm not sure exactly how he does it. We may need to reach out to him, but he called me this year and he was like, Hey, I'm looking at getting a Ram, you know, what Rams are you using? And I told him what their NSIP numbers was. And not a half hour later, he's like, Oh, well, they're above, they're above the inbreeding coefficient that I'm looking for. Right. How he figured that out. I have no idea. Well, he's a data guy. So he, he, he knows how to pull all the data and he's a yeah. query, you know, uh, so, him's talked for I a year or two that. about yeah. coming up with this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not at his level anywhere close. So yeah, it's like they give it to you after the fact. It's like, oh, well, that was a mistake. Yeah, you can't plan afterwards. Yeah, but you react. You uh, know, I that's a little bit above me as well. Yeah, Caleb's back on. Hey, Caleb, are you still there? Yes. Sorry about that. that he is. He has kicked himself out and rebooted and came back on probably a dozen times, bro. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've seen him here on the computer now, popping in and out. It's like, oh, there he goes. Oh, did you hear him yeah. popping in and out? No, I could just see his name. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. Like, oh, we lost Caleb. Yeah. Well, I have uh, – I just got um, fiber internet probably a month ago, I guess. And, a, and, and I just realized I'm, I'm, I'm upset because I bought the one gig package. And I'm not getting – you know, I'm not getting very fast – speed whatsoever and i've tried all these things they told me to try but i forgot i have a uh, um what do i have i have a switch back in my utility room that i you know i bought 20 years ago and i built my house and everything's going through this switch well guess what this switch ain't rated for uh gigabit internet so uh that's been throttling my whole deal down and it just came today in the mail. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah. We, uh, we just got upgraded from six meg internet to 50 and it is like light speed. Wow. Yeah. We're the last house that gets it too. <laughs> That's the only house that matters, right? Exactly. And I'm only a mile from I me. Mean, literally Mount Vernon is a mile from me. And it's like, I'm not like that far away, people. <laughs> so I have a question about the restaurant deal. Um, you know, I have a lot of people that say, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm going to sell to a restaurant. So how do you supply a restaurant that wants to feed, you know, 10 rack of lamb a, a weekend? How do you supply that with 30 years? Are, are you worried that they will create a demand for your product and you can't supply that they'll find somebody to replace you? So the, the one benefit that we have is the restaurants that we do sell to 
their menu changes by the week. Gotcha. And so they can run a lamb special. You know, they can bring our lamb in and they, you know, one's an Italian restaurant. They can do a lamb bolognese one week with, with the ground and they can do a lamb lasagna with the shoulder the next week and then be done. Right. And, do something else. and then come back to it later when we've got more. So that's one thing that, you know, cause, cause that's the biggest thing is it's like, and that was always my fear. And that's why I never even tried was it was like, well, I can't supply that, you know, I only have so many. And so you have to kind of realize and, you know, kind of almost pinpoint. And do I make that much more money per lamb selling it to a restaurant? Mm, a little bit, not a ton. But it's but cool it's, being on the menu. It's cool, you know, and I enjoy it. And, you know, well, that's a big part of it, you know. And we like to go to the restaurant and eat our lamb there and, you know, when we're there, the chef's like, "Hey, you know, hey guys, that's that's their lamb." You know, people are like, "Oh, cool!" Like it just, it, I don't know, it, Credibil- it has a- credibility, yeah, yeah. And then some of those people, because then the biggest thing is your, you know, your kind of hope is, "Oh, well, that's good. I want one." You know, um, another thing that we're starting to do this year, and I'll let you guys know how it goes next year, is getting our lambs processed into just the popular cuts. Okay. Um, one thing that we're going to try to do is with these ones, we're doing um, the legs. So since we're in summertime now, we're like, hey, what do you throw on the grill? You know, so we're going to do kebabs and then we're going to do ground lamb and we're going to do lamb chops. And we're going to do like, you know, two packs of ground, a pack of lamb chops, a pack of kebabs and sell to general public for 50 bucks, you know, just to kind of get an approach to a seasonal pack, do a more seasonal package. Yeah. And also, but like, cause some people, the biggest thing we found is people don't know what to do with the whole lamb. They, yeah, a, definitely. Don't know how to cut it. they B don't know how to cook everything and they and C they look at it and they're like, Oh, well, 300, I got to put 300 bucks. And I went, I don't know if I'm, what am I going to do with it? <laughs> Yeah. You know, but they look at, Hey, 50 bucks. Well, those are kebabs. Those are lamb burgers and chops. I throw them on a grill too. Cool. I'll take it. And they go home and they eat it. You know? Yeah. I'll tell you something cool. My, my processor, uh, the next, next one. So I did eight or nine at one time. And, and so I still got, I still got some left, but, uh, probably in the next month, month and a half, uh, my next group, uh, we're going to do some pre-seasoned burgers. And, uh, you know, you get that group of people that, um, you know, how do I cook this? How do I cook that? So we want to take that away. And he's he's got a um, a patty press that will make a patty already. And yeah. uh, I'm going to do like a mild, basically a salt, pepper, uh, paprika, maybe just a tad of garlic, just a simple uh, pre-seasoned deal. And uh, and and go that route. I think that's a. I think it might ease into a crowd that you know might screw up the. You know, it's kind of. We had this conversation uh, last week with somebody there at the office. If if somebody gives you a T-bone steak or or a fillet, let's say it's a fillet ribeye, something really nice, and you burn it, you screw it up, <laughs> you're still going to eat a ribeye. You know, 
next time you go out or next, you know, you're still going to do that, man. You, your first experience with lamb is bad. You ain't ever going to do it again. And, uh, I want to eliminate that from, from the first time person that stops and sees me and I talk them into it. I don't want them to screw it up. Uh, so I'm thinking that might be, you know, uh, uh, the gateway drug is a preseason burger. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, the biggest thing we found is just you have to make it as approachable as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great idea. You know, we're going to try these like lamb bundles things. So we've got uh, cut flowers. My, my wife does wedding florals. Um, but obviously with the whole COVID situation, weddings aren't happening. So we actually sounds have. Me, sounds to me like you need to do wedding dinners with lamb. <laughs> yeah. Pretend, you know. So, so a, a question, and this is kind of random, but have your sheep ever gotten out and eaten her flowers? Uh, last week. They didn't eat the flowers. <laughs> they ate the grass around the flowers. Oh, okay. Uh, you got them well trained. Yeah. I was sitting here cooking dinner. I looked out the window, and I'm like, oh, crap, there's sheep in the yard. <laughs> Isn't that the worst feeling? It's like, oh, man, what have they eaten this time? Well, yeah, because 50 foot to the right is a state route, so. Oh, it's a bit sketchy where we live. Now, do but, you have to have a, do you have a USDA permit? How does Ohio handle, handle that? Yeah. Selling so, retail. So to sell retail, you have to get it processed at a USDA inspected facility. And then it has to remain in a frozen state to the customer. Mm-hmm. And now like, for example, your, quote unquote home freezer qualifies. We don't have to have our freezer inspected. You yep. have to come and pick the lamb up here. So if we pick it up at the processor frozen, bring it to our freezer and put it in the freezer and they can pick it up, that's fine. But like if we went to a farmer's market or something like that, it would have to be a inspected freezer by the county. Really? So they come they inspect my freezer once a year and uh um, and I have to have a separate freezer for retail meat and my personal meat. Yeah, we have to do that too. And then I have to have a separate freezer if I had pork. Uh, no, huh. birds. I guess birds. No pork. Oh. I can do beef and lamb. I don't know if I can do pork or not. And then ch- chicken has to be in a separate refrigerator or freezer than lamb or beef. I didn't put pork on my on my permit because uh, I'm out of the pig business. So that ain't happening again. Uh, hmm, I don't remember, but I know uh, chicken, poultry and, and red meat had to be in separate freezers. Yeah. That's the way it is here too. Poultry and red meat, like slaughtered separately. Everything's separate. Yeah. Then we are in a new freezer just for our retail lamb for if that eventuality, you know, works its way here, we're good to go. Yeah. So do you have a state meat inspected program there? Because some states have a state meat inspected program and the USDA where you can sell state meat inspected within state borders. Um, But some are just USDA. Do you have a state meat inspected program there? As far as I know, we do not. Um, Okay. The process I go to is USDA and then we do have the custom uh, plants that you can't sell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But. Go go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to ask, um, so 
your USDA plant then? Is, is that fairly close to you? Do you have a decent number of USDA plants in the area or is it hard to find one there? So we do have one that's about 20 minutes away. That's one nice. that we always prefer to go to. Um, mm-hmm. The one issue there is, you know, like always, you can only kind of take so many. Um, but also, we don't have a ton, you know. I mean, now, I know my issue is probably small compared to how far some people have to drive, you know. But like the other one that I was just trying out, it's an hour away. I know mm-hmm. for some people that's not very far, you know, but for us, that's a little bit further, you know. Yeah. As as, there are some other ones. Um, I, I, I've heard some, some, some bad things about that I just don't feel comfortable taking my animal to. I mean, mm-hmm. I've put a lot of time and investment into my animals. And yeah. I'm sure that they're treated properly and then I'm getting mm-hmm. the right back. And that Absolutely. means more to me than what it costs, you know, and when you can get it in. Like, if I call you and you say you can get me in in two weeks, I'm probably just going to hang up the phone because no one else is is coming there if you can get me in that quick. <laughs> um, I try and schedule mine in the springtime um, for the entire fall. Yeah. Well, this year, I don't know what it's been like out there. I mean, out here, our processor usually, you know, I have a pretty good relationship with them. Usually they could squeeze a lamb or two in if I needed to um, within, you know, a couple of weeks of calling them and they're usually pretty busy, but a lamb or two is not that big a deal for them. And, uh, so they could squeeze me in, but they were booked solid until October when I called, this was probably two months ago. And I mean, just since that time, I mean, every facility in the area has basically booked solid until almost till January. And, you know, apparently people are coming out here and they're just, they're just buying whatever animals they can at the auction and scheduling butcher dates. And which, I mean, first of all, who's going to want to eat an animal after just picking up some random animal from the auction. But I mean, you know, people are, are worried about their protein source. So have you guys seen an increase out there in demand with this year with all the, the COVID stuff? Have you seen a decrease? How has, has that affected your market at all? Have you changed your, your business plan when it comes to breeding stock? Maybe walk us through some steps that you've taken with this whole COVID thing. Yeah. So one thing that we've done is the slaughter dates have been harder to book. Um, there's, there's no line there. Um, we did have to try a new processor um, to be able to get the number of dates that we needed because yep. our processor was booked. Uh, they were doing, because um, the prison system here in Ohio slaughters a lot of animals. And with those shut down, with the COVID situation, a lot of them went to those private facilities. Because usually in the spring into early summertime, if you have a you that you're like, hey, I'm going to call this you after it wins its lamb, you can usually get it in and, you know, not too much trouble in that time of the year. But, yeah. well, you know, your fall and winter time as normal is much, much busier. Um, when I called in April, yeah, I think it was April, um, I got four slaughter dates in my normal butcher, and that was it through the end of the year. So I had to find another facility. You know, so, that's something I struggle with. I've tried two hours is my travel time to one of three my three closest ones are all about an hour and a half to two hour drive. 
And uh, one guy I've been using for probably four or five years. And once I got my retail, of course, I practiced, you know, uh, all those years with him to get how many packages of this. And, you know, I worked on all this stuff. And then when I finally got my, my, um, my permit and the first, uh, the first official order I did with him, I wanted a, a whole rack. And, uh, you know, I was going to do that for Christmas, take a lot of pictures, you know, really. And I went to pick up my lamb the week before Christmas and they were in chops. And I'm like, what happened to the, what happened to the nice rack that I was getting, you know? And, oh, well, we don't know what we're talking about. I don't know what that is. What do you mean? You know, you should have called. And uh, so that, that really, you know, sent me backwards thinking, oh, man, I can't count on this, you know. Yeah, you that can't put be, it back together. <laughs> that would have been an expensive hit on a retail sale, you know. Uh, right. so, so I tried another guy that had been kind of talking to me and, and uh, their, their beef, and they started doing lamb. And um, I, I took my first two lambs to them. And they called me the day of, you know, I had my cut sheet all laid out. And, you know, I said, y'all know what a rack of lamb? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did all that. And um, and I wanted my, my hams boneless. I'm into smoking meat, and I kind of dig all that. So I wanted boneless hams. And uh, they called me the day or the after they processed them and said, hey, are you sure you want this uh, these hams boneless? And I'm like, yeah, why? Is there something wrong with them? Well, I didn't, we didn't know, you know, there won't be much meat left. I'm like, why not? Are you throwing it away or something? I mean, you're just taking a bone out, you know? And they're like, well, I don't know. There won't be much left. I'm like, hey, 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 don't, uh, just leave the bone in. I'm good. You know, don't practice on me. And <laughs> and I got down there with them. Same thing, man. My rack was at chops. And uh, because somewhere else, you know, I wanted neck chops, you know, shoulder chops. I wanted other chops, but I wanted a rack. And mm-hmm. uh, so that didn't go too well. So now I'm on my third guy who has a butcher on. He has a butcher on staff instead of a so-called processor. There's a difference. And mm-hmm. uh, this guy understands cuts of meat, and it, and I can't ask for nothing better, except, you know, he's more expensive. But – um you know, it's kind of hard to swap around, I think, on processors, you know, um, just from a quality standpoint, the consistency standpoint. Um, that'd be hard for me to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's probably one of the larger challenges facing the industry. I mean, you had, there's another P to add to the, I think it was, I read something from, from Dr. Redwine that it was, you know, parasites. Um, predators and price well there's another one processors processors yeah i think that you know that that's kind of puts a bottleneck on the industry because you look here in the u.s we have the demand right i mean we've got more people eating lamb than we can supply in the u.s um so where's our meat going well you know if you open up the door for processors for people to sell direct to restaurants and all that um i think it opens up some doors for even for smaller flocks to really market their meat. Well, because the biggest thing is when you go to sell whole animals to people, you it has to be right. You know, I mean, when you go to pick it up, a lot of times if you're, you know, let's just say you take, you know, four, six, eight at a time, mm-hmm. they're 
boxed up for each individual, you know, lamb and whatnot. And you're going to take that box to the customer. You know, it's, it's gotta be right. Like you said, Robert, I mean, that was a good thing. That was your rack of lamb, not somebody else's that they cut up into chops. Oh yeah. That would have been a bad day. Yeah. I've had those days before. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's one of those, you have to develop a good relationship with your processor, you know, and sit down and talk with them. Like, Hey, what are the options that way? One thing that we figured out is people don't want to deal with them. You know, people want to call you buy a lamb from you and you come drop it off for them, come pick it up, whatever, you know? So what we did was we started including processing in with our lamb and we started including, you know, all that in. So literally you deal with us. We've already talked to the processor. We know what cuts you can and can't get and what you'll have to give up to get certain ones. So you deal with us and we'll call the processor and deal with all of that. Because that way you don't have language breakdowns. So someone calls this, this, and someone calls this cut that. Because, and also a lot of our lambs are going, uh, as far as like people buying whole lambs are going to Columbus and Cleveland. So they don't want to call and deal with the processor down here and all that stuff. So, it really is helpful um, to kind of, and then we just charge a little bit more for it to make it worth our while. But most of the mm-hmm. time, no one has had any issue with paying it. Yeah, well, I, I had a. Uh, it's kind of on a similar, similar um, subject. I was I was watching a video. What what are video podcasts called? Like a a vlog? Is that a vlog? Yeah. Anyway, there's a group of horse guys just sitting around the table talking, kind of like we are, except they're at the same place. And a guy had went to Italy to train horses for two years. And uh, he went over there for like a 30-day, you know, private thing. And the guy said, hey, you know, I need you to stay over here. And he goes, oh, man, you know, you can't afford me, you know. And he's like, oh, I don't know. What did it cost, you know? And this guy goes, you know, I'm just thinking, what? how can I price it to where he will not, you know, hire me to come over here for three months? And, uh, and he said he was making $500 a month or a week where he was at. And he thought, Hmm, three months. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, it'll cost you 20 grand to get me to come over here for three months. And he said, the guy put him on hold for a minute and, you know, was gone for, you know, 15, 26, come back. He goes, okay, we added, that'll work. Come on over. And he's like, crap, I guess I'm going to Italy. So unless you throw, unless you throw that price out, you don't know, you don't know what your market will bear uh, until you do it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to make sure you don't underprice yourself because I mean, sometimes I think you can, at least I, I can. So our processor charges 150 a head. And when you're taking in, you know, a hundred, 110 pound lambs, I mean, you're going to be getting 30, 35 pounds of processed meat depending on how it's processed and if you count organ meats as meat which i don't typically um you know so that you know 150 bucks a head that's 450 to five bucks a pound so you know sometimes you know i've been charging um 850 a pound and then when they raise their price you know i'm raising up to, to 950 um and you know sometimes when you're selling those cuts it's like wow this is a little more expensive but at the same time, you got to realize that, that there is value there and it's worth that. Um, and I think if you, I think setting your prices 
is important to make sure that you don't undersell yourself. And I think people are willing to pay it. Um, Brad, that sounds kind of like what, what you said. I mean, if I heard you right, your, your customers are, you know, they're happy with the product that you're raising. You're raising a great product and, and they're willing to pay for that. Yeah. I mean, that's something like there's only so many places you can get lamb as well, you know? So it's not, it's not in all that many places and the price is what it is. It's not going to necessarily be any cheaper anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, we base our price off of what we would get on the high end at our local sale barn, which we are close to Mount Hope, which is a rather nice sale barn um, as far as price wise. So we kind of price ours based on the higher end. And then we take into account what our processing fee is. Mm -hmm. We take into account our cost to take it to the processor. And then what our cost would be to take from the processor to the customer. And we lay it all, you know, we put it all together and Hey, this is what it is. You know, if you want someone to do this service for you, this is a fair price. You know, we don't try to break it over the coals, but you know, we do make a little bit. We make money on the lamb. Cause like if you come pick it up and you deal with the whole processor and everything, that's a different price, you know, which is fine. Absolutely. My farm and I don't have to look at it ever again. That's, that's just fine with me. But if you want us to take care of everything else, we make sure that you're going to compensate us for our time. We don't just throw that in for free, you know? And yep. well, I think a lot of what some people don't realize when they price stuff is your time is worth something, you know, you may enjoy doing this and all that, but like your time's worth something and people are willing to pay for it. You know, lamb isn't, it's not the cheapest meat per pound out there. That's just the reality of it. And people realize, you know, they either enjoy it or it's for a special holiday or for whatever. And they're willing to pay for it. You know, be proud of your product. You know I mean? People put a lot of time into their raising their sheep and all that. And they really care about it. So be proud of your product. And, I think some people undersell themselves. I'll tell you something that's hard to uh, understand, or it is for me, and and I, I would like to tour, uh, I guess, a facility that's doing it, uh, is couple, probably two years ago, I had a guy uh, a couple of hours from me um, smoke and cure some hams for me. And um, and he was bragging about, you know, he does, this guy does pork all winter, you know, and, uh, and he did, he, he was wanting to try the lamb. So, um, he had tried one or two before and, and really wasn't tickled with it. So I talked to him and I said, well, I, I want to try it, you know? So we tried, we tried, uh, four hams and four shoulders and, um, he calls me up and he goes, Hey man, I'm done. Uh, you know, are you ready to, you know, we can meet up Saturday or whatever. And he goes, by the way, he says, what's your plans with this? And I'm like, well, I'd kind of like to hand some out to, you know, my banker, my accountant, you know, my family, this, that, we're going to have some for Christmas or whatever. And he goes, I said, why is there something wrong with it? And he said, well, he said, um, you'll probably run out really quick. It is that good. And I'm like, Oh man, that's good to know, you know? And, um, so, so he hit me up probably two months later and was like, Hey, I got a wedding coming up. And I thought, you know, your, your ham was that we did was really good. So uh, I'd like to have a couple, I'd like to have a couple. And so I, I give him a, I thought a heck of a deal just to get in that loop. You know, I thought, man, if this guy started doing this on a regular basis and, um, 
I scared the dog out of him. And and I thought it was cheap. I mean, I thought I was just, you know, giving it away. And uh, come to find out, he's called his meat supplier that he gets his pork from, which is a wholesale place in Nashville. So I called him and, and uh, you know, had him give me prices. And they were pricing me lamb cheaper, a whole lamb processed in a shrink wrap deal cheaper than my processor cost me to process one. And, and I'm like, how do, how do I compete with that guy? You know, cause that's what, that's what he went and bought. He went and bought those lambs, you know, cheaper than my guy charged to process the lamb that I've got myself, you know, and that's, you know, I don't know what kind of mass, you know, I see these automated lamb processing facilities from around the world, you know, in mm-hmm. Australia, China, whatever. And, and I'm like, you know, I'd really like to see that, but I'd really like to know their numbers, you know, how they can do that much volume. It, it, I mean, they, you still got to include the lamb and it still had to be shipped there to this place. You know, I, I was just, you know, I was amazed. And it kind of let the air out of me. I'm like, holy crap, how can I compete with this guy? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that kind of needs addressed in general. You know, I mean, with our our food system, the way it's based right now, I mean, there's these giant companies with these enormous facilities that can basically price everybody out, you know, all the way up until situations like COVID-19 happens, you know. I mean – and there's like, you know, this big f- food shortage and all that stuff. And you can't get meat at the grocery store and everyone's freaking out because they're shutting down these big plants. And <laughs> my local processor is full of meat. And he's like, hey, everybody, um, no food shortage here. You know, come on out. You know, and that's something that even as a, you know, even as a Katahdin breed, if, if, you, got, if you got together with – let's just say, you know, five, six, eight producers in your state or region or whatever, you could probably pull together quite a few lambs, you mm-hmm. know? And then at that point you can get, you know, uh, certain rates on slaughtering and you can, you can knock your prices down quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I know there's that one group down in Kentucky that has kind of formed like a co-op, um, and that's something that, you know, if you had a regionalized food system versus this, you know, let's just call it extremely centralized food system, you, know, you really could get it to where you, me, other small producers could actually be somebody if you got together and you pulled your lambs together. But one thing that, they're not going to necessarily, you know, what that guy is going to get from his wholesaler, who knows what that is, you know, and if that's what they want, that's fine, you know, and I'm not going to try and get, I'm not going to give my lambs away, you know, mm-hmm. I know. Oh, no, I, I agree. It's, it's just once well, after about a week of crying about it, I'm like, you know what? Crap. Who cares? You know? And then exactly. the other, and the other thing I got to thinking was, well, Hey, what if I buy those lambs? My, I mean, that's what I, I can buy those already done cheaper than I can raise the son of a gun, you know, <laughs> have at it, Robert. Yeah, I know. That's, that's the world. My brain hits every now and then, you know, 
I still haven't done it, but I still haven't bought the first one. That's been two years ago. So, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where. Well, see, Nashville has the biggest. We, we're like the maybe the third or fourth largest Kurdish population in the U.S. And and when you when you leave Nashville, there's probably I don't know a dozen. I mean, Nashville's kind of like a spoke, and and there's roads from downtown headed out in every direction, and and probably within two miles of downtown in every direction, there is a community with with an ethnic market that has lamb and a cooler right there on the side of the road, and they always have one or two, and 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 they're always. I mean, dirt cheap. And that's where they're getting, they're all getting them from this one guy and he makes a loop of the truck and, and, um, but yeah, you can go in, you can get a candy bar, a Coke and a lamb at the yeah. little quickie mark. Yeah. I mean, we're only an hour from Columbus and Columbus has the second largest Somali population in the country. And beyond just that population, there's a huge ethnic market in Columbus. Right. And I was looking at, you know, trying to tap into it in some way. And I, I haven't had to yet, you know, because I've been able to sell all my meat lambs, but it's definitely a, you know, it's definitely a thing. And, but at the same time, you know, you got to have the right size lambs at the right time of the year. And it's something where we focus primarily on breeding stock. So our meat lambs are available as it fits into that schedule versus the other way around. But largely, we just we haven't had uh, we really haven't had too much of an issue selling our meat lambs. But you do have to make a concert. Like you have to realize when you get into it, most of your lambs are going to be meat lambs. And some people like they don't think that way. Like they think, oh, well, I'm going to raise breeding stock. Yeah, but you're going to have a lot of meat lambs. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. You what you're going to do with them? Yeah, I I I've, I tell people I'm like you know. Good breeders sell a lot of meat lambs. Like if, if you if you find somebody that, you know, they're not really selling a ton of meat lambs um, and they're selling most of their stock as breeding stock, well, then they're not being as picky. But if you meet somebody that, you know, they've got a strong meat market, they're, they're likely making genetic improvement even faster because, hey, if it's not their top stuff, they've got a, a line of people that want to eat it. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean... I do the same thing. I, I try to tell people and, and how, how I do it is I set my, I try to keep my input cost in line to sell lambs at the feeder lamb sale. Anything mm -hmm. above that is profit. But, but if I can't, if I can't sell that 150 or $170 lamb and come out ahead, then my costs are out of whack. Yeah. But if I gear myself up at, Oh, I'm going to sell $300, you know, <laughs> average breeding stock then i'm setting myself up for failure yeah yeah i mean yeah the breeding stock you're selling aren't going to work for anybody else either no no they're just they're just nothing there yeah well guys looks like another place to stop it's so hard to stop these conversations uh, once you get a couple guys talking and and uh, really passionate about what they're doing so much to learn but uh, we're trying not to make them too long uh, so we try to break them up into two or three episodes depending on the time so uh, we're going to stop this episode here and look forward to part three uh, with brad
Well, everyone, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far, and and hopefully it's sparking some questions in your mind as you're thinking about your operations and thinking about what you can do to improve. Maybe you're new and and thinking about questions of of how you can continue raising your sheep and, and things that you're learning and things you still have questions about. Send us an email, uh, podcast at sheepthings.com. We'll get those emails and uh, we'll we'll be happy to answer your questions. And uh, after we get a few questions, periodically we'll actually do a podcast uh, with question and answer. And we'll answer your questions right on the podcast here so you can listen to our answers. And, and we're happy to answer any questions that we can. And hopefully this podcast is, is generating those questions in your mind as you start thinking about it. But hopefully it's answering questions too. You come to this podcast for ready to learn, and and uh, I know I'm always learning something new of talking with these people, people that I've I've known before, people that I haven't, and you always learn something new. And so hopefully we can help answer your questions, but we can't answer your questions unless you send them to us. So again, that's podcast at sheepthings.com, podcast at sheepthings.com. Email us your questions, and we'll be happy to answer them uh, coming up here soon. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things Podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later.